don't you have a seat? A couple of quick announcements for you before we have a very special presentation. Our kids are going to sing for us in a minute, huh? Um, welcome to Lighthouse. Our uh, the big idea around here is that God loves us. God speaks first. God is reaching out to you right now, and we hope that you experience His love. So we hope that you be loved, and then we respond to that in worship, which is not just singing, but is a whole life reordered around the love of God and that love reflecting off of us into the world. We follow Him with our full hearts. We grow in Him, and we go into the world with the message of the gospel. Is there? This is Christmas week. How fun I feel. Yeah, I know. Woo. I feel like we get two Christmas Sundays out of it. I feel like this kind of we get to celebrate Christmas Sunday. And then also next week, actually on Christmas, we'll tell the story and I'll preach a sermon. And we'll just be Christians celebrating the incarnation of Christ together. I hope you'll make some time at 5 o'clock Christmas Eve. So next Saturday evening at 5, we'll have a candlelight service. It'll be a simple service. We'll sing the songs. We'll tell the story. We'll light some candles, and we'll be family together. So I hope you'll make next weekend um, uh, part, of, part of your Christmas celebration, celebrating with your church family here. Um, next, I didn't write it down. Oh, next, we're going to have kids sing for us. How's that sound? So, kids, why don't you come on up? We're excited to hear from you. You're going to sing for us, and then if after you sing, if you would stay up here on stage and and we'll light, uh, light our fourth candle together, and I'll tell you a story. But, ladies and gentlemen, your Lighthouse Baptist Kids. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and, and the Lord, glory of the Lord shone all around them. And they were terrified, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a big multitude. Suddenly, with the angel, a big multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest. And all. And on earth, peace, and all men, peace.
Angels went up into heaven to answer, and, and the angels went up into heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, which they which were just as they had been told. Isaiah 9, 6. For us a son is given, to us a son is born, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. songs, we have to have the words on the back screen so we can remember all the words. <laughs> you guys remembered all of them. That was outstanding. Let's have one more big clap for our kids. Christmas Eve, that's the Christ candle, that's right. So we'll light that together on Saturday night. 
Um, and we have a little bit more of the story and a few more um, pieces to put on our, our manger scene and one more gift to give you. So we have shepherds and angels. See, the candles go shepherds. No, I'm sorry. Prophets, angels, shepherds. And then what's the last candle, do you think? Well, that, well, you're right. I'm sorry. You're so much smarter than I am. Yeah, the last candle is going to be baby Jesus, but there's one more group of people that need to be in our manger scene. The wise men. That's right. That's right. Good job. You know, the wise men probably weren't there at the same time as the shepherds. The shepherds were there like the night Jesus was born, and the wise men probably took them a few months to get there. But we put them all up there because we, we put them all up there at the same time because we remember that, that these are all people who came to worship Jesus um, before he was a grown up, when he was still a baby, these were people that worshipped him. And the special thing about these guys is that they were Gentiles. They weren't they weren't Jewish like the, the shepherds, and Jesus came. Jesus was a Jewish guy, and he came as the Jewish Messiah, but not only to save uh, the Jewish people, but all people. And the Magi, the wise men, remind us of that. So we're going to um, put them up there in a second, in a distant land. Three wise men have been studying the stars. There probably weren't three of them. He brought three gifts, but there were probably lots and lots of them. But we'll call them three because of the song we sing is a bit funny. All right. In a distant land, three wise men, or maybe a bunch of them, had been studying the stars. They found a really bright star shining in the sky. They followed it all the way to Judea, where they believed it was a sign that a great king had been born. They asked King Herod in Jerusalem if he could show them the way to the baby who would be the king of the Jews. Herod was horrified. He didn't want another king around. And his advisors told him of a prophecy that the new king would be born in the city of David in Bethlehem. Then the cunning king sent the wise men to Bethlehem saying, once you have found him, come back and tell me where he is so that I can visit him too. The wise men followed the star in Bethlehem until they found baby Jesus in a humble house. There they knelt before him and presented him with fine gifts of gold, sweet-smelling frankincense, and spicy ointment called myrrh. Then they left to begin their long journey home, but they did not stop off at Herod's palace, for God had warned them in a dream not to tell Herod where the baby was. How neat that Jesus got important gifts for his birthday, gifts that remind the world that Jesus wasn't just a little baby born in a manger, but that he was a king. So we have four things. We should probably put the star up first, the star that they followed. Okay, you guys got to be honest. Somebody who hasn't put anything up yet, I just don't see either one of you. All right. All right, here you go. Because uh, I think you both died. Where do you think the star should go? Where do you think the wood should Yeah, that's pretty good. I like it there. I just don't think it'd be super close to fire. That's all I think. Um, <laughs> okay, would you like this one? There you go. <coughs> You'll put that magi there. And let's see, how about, would you like to, yeah, <laughs> just with a smile on your face. Where do you think he should go? And one more. Perfect. That is ideal. <laughs> he loves Jesus so much he can't even look. Excellent. Well, I need one more helper to help me light uh, light the candle. 
Magic candle, and I'll help you light it, and we'll try not to touch it all because I have a cold. Um, but uh, and then I'll pray for you guys, and then I can go off to Children's Church. And thank you guys very much for your songs this morning. It was very special for all of us. All right, we did it. Let me pray for you guys. Heavenly Father, thank you for these children as we've been praying. Uh, this whole season, for me, this be a time when they are filled with the wonder of your coming. Lord, that they might know that they can grow up not relying only on themselves, but that they have a Savior. That you love them enough um, to come and live a human life and, and die for their sins. Lord, may they experience your love. May they experience the, <clears throat> the hope that comes with knowing that, um, that you have conquered sin. Lord, thank you for the wonder and the joy that comes with children at Christmas time. They're a huge gift to us. Thank you for, for kids at church. And Lord, as, as they go to children's church now and continue to learn the story, Lord, may it be planted in their heart in a way that grows into a life that says thanks to you. We love you, God, and we're thankful for our young brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, one more clap for kids. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you this gift, and the gift is uh, uh, the gift is uh, little packets of gold. I'm sure it's real. I mean, it's not imaginary, so it's real something. And then you can go off to Children's Church, and the rest of us, why don't you stand, and we'll have a three-minute party.
You're reading Luke. I can read if you guys ever need me to. Never feel like you can't.
Who is this King of glory that pursues me with his love and haunts me with each hearing of his softly spoken words? My conscience a reminder of forgiveness that I need. Who is this King of glory who offers it to me?
Have a seat. <clears throat> okay, well, okay, <laughs> okay, no, thank you. <clears throat> well, on the other hand, my guitar playing was pretty good. <laughs> Pray for a worship leader. <laughs> you know, we don't have to guess why Jesus came. We don't have to. Um, we don't have to take it as secondhand information. The Gospels give us several instances where Jesus says, "I came to." And over these this three week stretch, we're taking a look at that. What is it that Jesus said he came to do? And last week we started um, thinking about Jesus' purpose was to glorify God. <clears throat> to keep God's promises, to fulfill the law every day. And, and, and we're looking at this as, as an opportunity not only to say, this is who I worship and marvel at the faithfulness of Jesus, but we also look at this as a, as, uh, as a mission statement for ourselves, as an opportunity for us to go, I can't worship Jesus and not be like him. I can't say that I'm a Christian and not be as Christ-like as I possibly can. When we find the mission of Jesus, we find our identity, we also find our reason for being. If, if all we did is last week's message and all we did is wake up every day and go, if I can glorify God, if I can reflect His glory back to Him, if somebody might know 
what God is like a little bit because of the way they interact with me today. That would be all the mission I need. I would say I know the reason I'm on this earth. And yet there's far more in, as Jesus says, this is why I'm here. So as last week we looked at Jesus' purpose to glorify him, today we'll look kind of at Jesus' aim, that Jesus aimed at seeking and saving, which meant redemption and ransom. And again, I think it's right for us to do both of those, to marvel in the seeking of Jesus. Like, let's not, let, let's not just let that be something we've heard our whole lives, but can you get over the amount of love the Father has shown us? That Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, to give his life as a ransom. Behold what love the Father has given us that we would be called children of God. So first we marvel. We go, I cannot believe how much God loves me. I cannot believe how much God loves the world. I cannot believe how much God loves people that I find hard to love. Not that he would only allow redemption. That would be amazing in and of itself. As we read the history of humanity, you don't even have to start from the Old Testament. Pick any country's history book and read it. And you go, this is not a people worthy of the presence of God. All of us are marked by violence and sin. And so it would be one thing if God said, okay, for the holy few who find enlightenment, who find a path, I'll be discoverable if they are good enough. For the, for the few people who are holy enough, who are righteous enough, who really want to, I'll be able to be found. That would be amazing enough. But that he seeks us, that, it, that he is available not just for the holy few, but for lowly shepherds and people like me and you. We marvel at this. We look at the ways that God is not only allowing himself to be found, but in ways that he is seeking, seeking to save, seeking to redeem, seeking to give his life as a ransom. And, and we marvel that this was not a change of plans. It's not like Jesus, and it's not like the Father and the Son were in eternity watching human history play out and going, oh my gosh, this Roman development is something we hadn't anticipated. We need a plan and that they said, well, maybe we should go seek the people. No, but rather, it is the story of the scriptures that God has always been seeking humanity. God is a seeking God. He has been looking, calling, calling out people for all time. It is, it is in God's nature to seek and to save the lost. And seeking is a big part of the Christmas story. You know, we look at those shepherds who got their message from the angel that was so beautifully told. It'll never be told as beautifully as it was just here by these small voices. <clears throat> but they get their message from the angel and we look at their, 
you know, they, they did the right thing. They went and they sought Jesus. And, and, and we look at the, the Magi who read the heavens and then maybe are drawn by the glory of God shining out of, of Jesus' house or whatever this star was. And, and they go and they seek and they take the journey. And it's, it's a good reminder that whether we are lowly shepherds or whether we are far away like the Magi, that we too need to be those who seek God, who seek Jesus. It's right to say that we should be seekers, that each of us too are called to seek him like he is the treasure that can be found, like he is the pearl of great price, worthy of giving everything in your life too. In fact, right now, if you are seeking anything else, forget about everything else that I'm going to say. If you in your life are seeking anything but him, would you repent of it and be saved right now? Would you seek him? And if you're a believer who has so wrapped up the eternity thing that you have forgotten that relationships are about continually seeking each other, and if you are resting in eternity and spending the next 60, 80, 100 years seeking other things and then hoping to just die and go to heaven, would you repent of that? And would you be somebody who is found and yet still on the search for the divine Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. But even as we are called to seek him, we have to understand that not only are we the seeker, but my friends, we are the sought. We didn't, this relationship did not start with a bright idea by humanity to go look for God. Rather, it is God that is seeking you in a more profound way than you could ever articulate your ability to search for him. When we look at the baby in the manger, we think the only way to find him is that we must, in our own power, seek him. It's true in a sense that we should seek him, but make no mistake, that baby in the manger is the seeker. He seems helpless, doesn't he? What a human birth. What a common human baby who's reliant on his mother for everything kind of birth. And yet, what we see in that manger in Bethlehem is not someone who only must be found, but somebody who set aside the glories of heaven so that he could seek a relationship with me and you. That baby that we worship this time of year is on a mission even in that manger. And it's not a new mission. Rather, he is God. And God has been on the mission of seeking and calling people to himself for all time. So I thought we might spend some time the morning, this morning thinking about seeking, reflecting on the idea that at Christmas time we not only celebrate that Jesus can be found and how wonderful is it that God became a man, that he might live among us, that he could be found, that he would be the light of the world. But maybe just as amazing is that he came at all, that he came to seek, that, he, that this baby would grow up and say, let me tell you why I'm here. I showed up to find you. I showed up so that I could hunt you down and give my life as a ransom for the price of your life. This is the God we worship. Not only one who could be found, but one who is actively looking for you. 
God seeking didn't begin at Christmas. In fact, I, you know, in a, in a much longer version of this sermon, I love to track all the ways that God has been seeking his people from Eden forward. But I wonder, just to, as, a, as a way to wrap up and as emblematically of the whole Old Testament, if, um, if we might turn to Isaiah 51, 1 and 2, and let me just read that for you. It says, listen to me. So this is Isaiah speaking to, uh, to exiles, people who feel a long way from God, but to a small group of people who are pursuing God. They want to find God. These are seekers. And I've counted myself among that. I've never been somebody who has felt like, aha, I've arrived. I'm a Christian and everybody should do it like me. Rather, I've been brokenheartedly searching and seeking and glorying in the fact that a dummy like me could be found by God. That's the, the state of these people Isaiah is writing to. They're seekers. You're going to see that. And Isaiah says, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Is that, are, are we among them? You who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you, for he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. So as Isaiah, I mean, he's hearkening back to the story of Abraham where the nation of Israel first gets its start. But he's talking to people who are hundreds and hundreds of years later in exile outside the promised land who the whole plan seems so broken. And as they see God and they go, maybe they're even in Babylon. And, and, and as they see God and they go, where is he? Where's God around here? Like we're so far away and all these stories seem so old. And yet Isaiah says, would you remember that it was never your idea to find God? It is good that you are seeking the Lord, but would you remember that this did not start with you seeking God. It started with God seeking you. Abraham was just one when I called him. And I called him so he could be a great nation, but it was not Abraham's ingenuity. Rather, over and over and over, it is very clear in the story that God is the one working. So he says, take courage and where you came from. When I met you, when I called you, your forefather Abraham was just one guy. It was God who would make him into a great nation. The big idea maybe of much of the Old Testament is that no matter what is going on in our lives, no matter what is going on in our culture, we are never counting on us. The world needs the church. Can, I, can, I, can you agree with that with me? The world needs the church, but the world does not need a church who thinks it's all about us. The world needs a church that is empowered by the foundness of God. Not just people who are seeking God, but people who understand that God started the conversation and it is Him that empowers us to go into the world. What the shepherds saw in that manger was not only the God who could be found, but the God who was actively looking for them. He was looking for them. Nobody's looking for shepherds. Unless you need a shepherd, nobody is looking for shepherds. And if this one is mouthy and still sheep, you can find another shepherd. They're expendable. We don't care about them. They're out there in the field. So what? They understood that God 
was looking for them. In all of our hustle and bustle to try to be people that might be worth being found. Oh, I hope I'm someone that somebody might love and somebody might appreciate. I hope I'm somebody who's worthy of a high salary and much respect. Understand that the shepherds had none of that. But they were there to worship the God who had found them. Them. If God could find them, if God was willing to find them, then there are none so lost that God is not seeking for them. And maybe it is our, I don't know if failure is the word, our misunderstanding, our missing the mark, that we have given up, that God is actively looking for every one of our neighbors, for every person in Seaside including the person I had to ask to leave our front door uh, in his night's sleep this morning. God is looking for him. Are we seeking the same people that God is seeking? There are several times where exactly that comes out of Jesus' mouth, that Jesus' aim was to seek out and to find, to rescue those who had given up on being rescued. And I don't know if there's any in the room today. If you feel like you are here to appease a member of your family or you're here with a friend or, or what drew you here today or if you, you are here because you like the religiousness of it, we're a pretty religious-looking church. You might enjoy that. Um, but, um, but you think that at the end of the day, God could not find a wretch like you, that God wouldn't seek out a wretch like you. Please know that over and over out of Jesus' mouth, it's not only that he's willing to seek a wretch like you, but that that's exactly why he showed up. It's exactly why he came for shepherds, for magi that are very far away. If, you'd, if you have a Bible and, and wanted to turn to Matthew 4, we'll, just, we'll skip around a little bit, but they'll all be in the gospel so they won't be far away. And this is, this, this is the story right before the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is about to say, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's going to see the great crowd. And having seen the crowd, he sat down and said to them, blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of the heavens. And he'll go on from there. And it's important to reflect on who's that great crowd? Who is it that, that is gathered to, uh, to hear Jesus that day? And verse 23 of Matthew 4 says this, and when he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people, so his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought to him all the sick who are afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and the paralytics, and he healed them. And a great crowd followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So two questions. First of all, who is in this great crowd that is going to be the, the recipients of the Sermon on the Mount? It is the broken it is the ones who were not going to get invited to the festivals that year because they were sick and unable to enter the courts of the temple. 
because they were uh, demon-possessed, because they were ill, because they were lame, because they had leprosy. That is who Jesus had gathered. And can you tell me, for my second question, how did they find out about him? How did his fame spread? It was because he went to them. And he went throughout all Galilee is how this passage starts. So the great crowds followed Jesus, but not until he went throughout Galilee looking for him. And then there's Mark 10. Turn over there. Mark 10, 42. Where we get to eavesdrop on an absolutely ridiculous conversation between Jesus and two brothers named James and John who hope to secure a place of honor in the kingdom of God. As this little band of disciples is marching towards Jerusalem, <clears throat> they think that a coup is probably going to happen. It's, we're going to Jerusalem, and he's, Jesus is talking about the kingdom, and we are worshiping him as king, and so we want to secure our place. That Maybe James and John are starting to understand that there's a bunch of us here, and we think we're pretty awesome, and so we would like to sit at your right and left hand. Jesus, of course, points out, uh, points their attention to the truth that they have totally misunderstood the mission entirely, that this will be a mission of conquering for sure, but it will be death and sin that are conquered, and it will be death that will be the instrument of killing death. So, Jesus tells them, if they want to suffer with Jesus, they're welcome to, but if what they're looking for is power and prestige in this world, they're going to have to follow someone else. And in fact, Jesus uses this as an opportunity to turn the idea of power and authority completely on its head. Mark 10, 42 and following says, And Jesus called them and said, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. I, if you've ever been to a connection class, a membership class around here, we spend a lot of time in this passage. And, and I always say, I think this is the most important passage about church authority there can be. That what it means to have authority in a church uh, is to be the servant of all. Is to never lord power over anyone. A healthy church is a church where nobody is lording power over anyone. And, and so Jesus says, you know how it works. And we could say the same thing, right? You guys know how the important people in, in our cultures want the important places in our culture. You know how they lord it over people. You know how um, you look up in the, in the boxes at, at games or whatever, and those are all the important people. And then you got the guys with their shirts off and painted and whatever. Those are the, those are the people like me and you, right? Those are the normal people down there. We know that the, the power means lording it over. And Jesus goes, look, disciples, it should never be that way among you. But he's not just commanding it, he's demonstrating it. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And if he stopped there, that would be very profound to go, wow, I'm going to be a Christian. And, and Jesus said that what it means to be a Christian is to never seek power over people, but rather to seek to serve everyone. That would be amazing in itself, but he doesn't stop there. No, he says, actually, guys, this is not just the mission I'm calling you to. This is the mission that I am on. For even the Son of Man, remember 
Son of man, we'll get to this when we pick Luke back up again. Son of man is always that reference to this figure in Daniel who is this messianic, this is Jesus, this is the great son of man. Came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for many. Jesus said, I haven't come for that. You guys are coming to me saying, can you have some of the power that I'm going to, to earn? He said, I haven't come for that, but rather I've, I've come to be a slave in the kingdom of man so that I might be the king in the kingdom of God. The mission of this baby in the manger was a mission of service. What Jesus said to James and John needs to be said to us too, that if we are on a mission other than a mission of service in the world, we will not expect to experience the glory awaiting in the kingdom of God. That Christmas is about service. The shepherds were indeed servants. What a wonderful picture. They cannot get more lowly than a shepherd in this culture. Not immoral men. There was nothing. It's, I mean, maybe they were, you know, scallywags or whatever. Don't even know what that means. Um, maybe, they were, maybe they were sinners like the rest of us, but, um, but there was nothing inherently immoral about being a shepherd. There was just something inherently lowly. You can't get more lowly than a shepherd. And Jesus came to serve them. They were the first that Jesus served. But it's not just service. Rather, Jesus said that he came to serve, not only to serve, but that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Ransom, the payment to buy a captive out of ca captivity. He came to be a slave that he might buy us out of slavery. He came to be a servant that he might buy us out of servitude, that our freedom would come at his cost, at his expense. Jesus said that he came to do exactly that. So Christians, find your mission there. Find your life's work there. Find your purpose for being there. Not just to serve, but rather to so pour ourselves out that others might be served by him too. Paul would later say, and I think reflecting on this truth, I don't know if on this passage, but on this truth, Paul would later say, look, I would do anything. He said, I, among the weak, I become like the weak. Among like the Gentiles, I become like the Gentiles. Among the Jews, I become like the Jews. Um, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. One of my favorite things that Paul ever said is as it's getting close to the end of his life, he writes to one of his best friends and he goes, I've already been poured out like a drink offering. What are you trying to do with our lives? What else would we do but be about this mission that Jesus himself was on, that he calls us to join him to, to service, to be poured out. 
Jesus says that he came to serve and to save, and Paul understood that to be his marching orders too. And I wonder if what it means to be a Christian, and you know, evangelism has had a, an up and down reputation over the course of my life. You know, there was, there was um, when I was young, we all got evangelism training, and you got your tracks, and you got your four spiritual laws, and you memorize the Roman road, and then you go out, and, and it was kind of like, I always think it like a gunslinger kind of thing. You kind of come back to youth group and you go, did you get any? Did you get any? Did you get any? And there, might have, there was good fervor there and there's good tools there too. A good, I mean, the bridge track is great. It's wonderful. The four spiritual laws, awesome. It's perfect. Um, but, there, but there was something um, uh, unloving about the way you know, we processed it because we were unloving people. And then there was this big movement towards like, no, it's just about friendship evangelism. We're going to put down the tracks. Whereas Francis of Assisi became the poster child for it. Francis of Assisi famously said, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Probably you got to use words a lot is what I think. But and then maybe we... the movements I was a part of maybe became a little ineffectual. It kind of, we heard friendship evangelism and we concentrate on the friendship and never on the evangelism. That it was, yeah, I'm happy to make friends and I'm just hoping that someday they go, wow, what's different about you, Grant? But I haven't had many of those conversations. So however we work it out, and I imagine we'll work it out in an imperfect way in our generation too. But however we work it out, Jesus said that he came to seek and save the lost. Paul heard that and said, I'll do anything that some might be saved. What else do you want to do with your life, Lighthouse? You want to make some money? You want to have people say nice things at your funeral? What, what else? What? You're going to die. I promise. However bad it is, it'll get worse. What do you want out of life? Find your mission here. Find your mission in the manger. Find your mission at the cross. Find, the, find your mission in the empty tomb. We too should be about seeking and saving the lost. God has asked us to join him in this mission, reconciliation. I've said it a hundred times, I'll say it a hundred more. He has not asked us to join him in the mission of judgment. He's got that part covered, but he has asked us to join in seeking and saving. We could look one more place. We could look a million more places, but we could look to Luke 19, and actually this is going to be the first sermon when we hop, hop on New Year's Day, when we hop back into Luke to spend our spring um, back in the gospel of Luke, um, the story of Zacchaeus. So we'll tell the fuller story in a couple of weeks, but um, but this is the story of someone who could not have been more lost. Child of Abraham, Jewish man, could not have been further from the truth, could not have been more lost. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a fraud. He was a thief. But he has an interaction with Jesus that leads to his salvation that we'll talk about in a couple of weeks. But for now, I'd like to focus on the crowd. He has an interaction with with, um, with Jesus, his life changes, Zacchaeus' life changes, but it doesn't sit well with the crowd because if we're going to be honest, there's some people that we would rather not be saved. There's some people that we would just go, man, 
I just would like, I would like the kingdom of God better if that person wasn't in it. And Zacchaeus is that guy in his town. He's the politician who cheats everybody. He's the tax collector that rips everybody off. He's the guy rolling down the street in uh, the fancy chariot on the big fancy horse. And everybody knows that the townspeople's money paid for that lifestyle. They'd rather he wasn't in the kingdom of God. And so they are talking about it a little bit. And so Jesus makes it clear in a way that can't be missed, in a way that we should hear today. In Luke 10, in Luke 19.10, he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save people exactly like Zacchaeus. The glory of God is evident in Jesus' love for the lost. The glory of God is evident in Jesus' love for the failure, for the rebel, for the one who just doesn't have enough faith to hang on anymore, for the sinner, for the sinner who should have known better. Jesus is not just the way that God allowed himself to be found, but rather in the story of Jesus, we see a seek and find and save message. So how do we interact with this with this seeking God who has been seeking people for all time and is seeking you now? Well, first of all, go ahead and be found. One of the strangest things in the universe is how unwilling so many are to be found by God. We, don't, we like the idea of seeking and finding stuff ourselves. We like the idea of being enlightened. We like the idea of, of, of having a, a journey and experience and, and being the one who figures things out. Would you give up and just let him find you? He's seeking you. You don't have to climb a mountain. There's no blue flower at the top of the mountain. It's a Batman reference. There's nothing to memorize. God has done everything necessary. Would you just be found? And let's use that word a couple different ways. What are you trying to be found in? What's your identity in? What are you founded on? Would you not just let him find you, but would you let him be the source of your identity? Would you stop thinking of yourself in human terms and rather look to the one who sought you that you might be found? The second thing, we could seek him back because God does not desire trophies, but partners. You know, we have this um, image of the shepherd who has the lost sheep and then he finds the lost sheep and he comes back and all the other shepherds throw a party and go, yeah, you found your sheep. And Jesus said, that's what it's like in heaven when one lost sinner repents and, and is saved that all the angels in heaven um, throw a party. They rejoice. And we might misunderstand that. Like then our little soul gets put up on a shelf for God to admire 
that like, oh, yeah, I found Grant, and there's Grant, and he's safe, and he, that's not why Jesus found me. I can't explain this, but Jesus wants to hang out with me. Jesus has always desired partners. Jesus desires family. We think of ourselves as creation, and we should. We are creation, but he did not create us just to watch us. We are not an ant farm. Rather, he wants kids. For those of you that decided to have children, there are probably times where you want them to be an ant farm that you could just admire and not but no, you had dreams of relationship with them. You want to be with them. You want to know them. You want to hang out. We hide behind the holiness of God. We go, oh, God is so holy. True, true, you with me? Yeah, but the blood of Jesus is so good that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Seek him back. There should be reciprocity in our relationship with God. From the very beginning, I will be your God. Have no other gods before me. You will be my people. Worship me and I'll provide for you. Serve me and let me serve you too. That's why all of the word pictures about our relationship with God are relational. We are, uh, we are the bride of Christ. Can you imagine um, getting married and then being like, sweetheart, you're so beautiful and wonderful, I just can't spend time with you. No. If you're married to someone, they want you to still be seeking them even though you already got found. They want to be pursued. All of your kids want to be pursued. Who else would they roll their eyes at? Your parents still want you to pursue them. And God certainly, as he seeks you, wants to be sought by you. That's the way relationships always work. The best friendships, the best marriages, the best partnerships are not where the seeking has stopped, but rather where there is a mutual, never-ending seeking as an expression of love. And lastly, we've talked about this, but you could join in the mission of seeking. This relationship of mutual seeking, of mutual service, has always included multiplication. From the call to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply in the garden to the call to the disciples to go and make more disciples, there's always been this pattern of God finding us, us seeking God, and that producing more. And more of internal things, more peace, more joy, more love, but also growth in the kingdom of God. We are sought, my friends, and we are found so that we might become the seeker. There's a couple different ways you could play uh, the best youth game of all time. It's called Everybody's It. Can I explain Everybody's It to you? The, the rules are this. Everybody's it. Those are the rules. Trying to tag everybody. And you can play with teams, everybody on this side, blue and red. 
And you can play where when you tag somebody on the other team, they're out. Some of us have this idea of salvation, that once Jesus tags you, you're just out. Now you're just going to wait around to die, and someday in 60, 80, or 100 years, you know, you'll be sitting on the sidelines for that long, and then you'll get your reward in heaven. Congratulations, you got found by God. But there's another way to play that game, and the best way to play that game is the other way, because it lasts forever, and the kids run themselves tired. But it's where if you're on the blue team and you tag somebody on the red team, now they're on the blue team. And so getting tagged, getting found, equals becoming a seeker. And I wonder if we might change our perspective to not just being willing to be found, but to saying, I'm not seeking under my own steam. I'm not trying to earn, I'm not trying to go get one. I'm not trying to go get converts or anything like that. But rather, I am finding in my mission, in the reason I'm on the planet, that God has found me and asked me to join him in seeking souls for his glory. Serve like him. Seek like him. Because he's looking for you. And he wants to give you a mission. Let me pray for you. And then we'll sing. Let's sing Joy to the World. Does that sound good? We'll sing it. We're not going to sing it as good as the kids did, but we'll give it our best. Let's sing Joy to the World. Heavenly Father, thank you very much for this morning. <clears throat> thank you for story after story in the Bible of you coming not just so that you might be found, but coming so that you might find us. Lord, help us to find mission there. Help us to find our identity there. Help us to understand how profound it is that you just love us. It's not that you need us. It's not that we're valuable to you. Well, we're valuable, but it's not that you're less without us, God, but that you just wanted us. What an amazing truth that you came to seek and save the lost. Lord, without you, I am absolutely the lost. Unworthy. And God, in you I am found. And I have found mission. And I have found purpose. And Lord, I pray that we would continue to seek you as you have sought us and to seek others as you've called us to. I love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, you can't sing joy to the world sitting down. That's a rule. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods.
as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace, and makes the nations prove the glory of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders wonders <coughs> of his love Amen. Lighthouse, have a great week. I'll see you for our candlelight service on Saturday. Go with God. <laughs> What? I feel better than I sound. <laughs> <laughs>